Woo, hey, can you guys help me out? Let's welcome everybody joining us online right now too. And we're so glad you guys are worshiping with us as well, wherever you are, as we kick off this new series called Make Ready. And this has been a series that we've done the last couple of years that really um, kind of gets us in a position for God to move in our lives. Because how many of you know, God loves uh, the first. He loves us putting, you know, him first in our life, everything first. It just says something about his priority and significance in our life when we say, God, you have the first of my year. And so the power, by the way, of this couple weeks of, of messages is not what happens on Sunday. The power and the potential in it is what happens Monday through Saturday when we come together daily through prayer and fasting. And so I just want to invite you right now to be a part of that. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, we're going to be here at 630 at night, like praying and seeking God. Wednesday night, it's going to be this big worship night. You're not going to want to miss that. Get here early. I'm sure space will be limited on that, but it's just a great way for us to kick off this new year, Saturday, it will be at 9 a.m., so don't let that time mess you up. Uh, but we're just going to take a week of saying, God, you're first. No matter what, you are first in our life and just see what he can do. And today, I'm just convinced, and you can tell me otherwise, but I'm believing this is going to be the best year of my life. I just believe it is. And I think it's going to be the best year of my life as I put God first and as I really lean into what I want to talk about today, and that is prayer. That you and I should just learn how to talk to God more. I was thinking about how I could make this kind of, you know, well, it's 2023, you know, and maybe we're going to do 2023 minutes of prayer or, you know, how, how can I, you know, title this thing so it's kind of, you know, kind of catchy and all that kind of stuff, like, like 2023 divided by 365 is five and a half. So five and a half minutes every day of seeking God. And then I thought, no, all that's stupid. Let's just talk to God more. How about that? Right? Just talk to God, which is, by the way, the most basic definition of prayer. Just talking to God. And I believe if we will get this, this will change your life. If we will learn to talk to God more, this is the key to unlocking everything that your soul needs. And I believe it is easier than you and I perhaps even think it is. Talk to God. And I want to illustrate this by looking at the life of a guy named King David. You guys know who King David is? If not, I'll give you a quick crash course and I'm on a clock. So no need to take notes during this section of it. Um, just kind of tune in. But David, um, let's just say once upon a time in a place not too far away, except the other side of the world in a hill country, Known as Bethlehem, there was a boy named King David. And this is about a thousand years before Jesus was born into the same region. And if you ever wanted to find David on any given day, you just go out into the fields because that's where he was. He was a shepherd boy and he was the youngest of his brothers. He was the runt of the family. And so he was out in the fields tending his father's you know, flock of sheep. And so all day and all night long, he would just talk to God. That's what he did. He just had this strong connection with God. Just talk to God. He practiced his slingshot. If you heard that story, we're going to get there. A little slingshot thing. He practiced his harp. He was a harpist. You know, today it would be like him playing, uh, you know, a, a USA made PRS because David was an OG rocker. I mean, he was the guy. But he would just practice these things. But all throughout the day and night, he would talk to God over and over again. One day, David kills a bear to protect his sheep, 
to rescue his sheep. Another day, he kills a lion, again, to protect and rescue his sheep, which is actually a foreshadowing of what Jesus said he would do for us. He would leave the 99 and go after the one. And just over and over and over again, he would talk to God. Anyways, one day, David gets anointed by the prophet Samuel, like the literal legend, the OG, the guy who is talked about in 1 Samuel and in 2 Samuel. This guy shows up at his house and lines up all the brothers and anoints David, the youngest, the runt, number eight, as the future king of Israel. And David's like, this is awesome. Like, I'm gonna be king, it's good to be king. When's this gonna start, today or tomorrow? Because the only, my, my calendar is clear. I just gotta go tell some sheep, adios, and I'm good to go. And Sam, you know, Samuel goes, wait, wait, no. Actually, it's gonna be about 10 to 20 years before this takes place in your life. You have to be patient. You have to wait. God is going to prepare you in that. And that's a word for somebody, hey, that's waiting, that's being patient right now. God is preparing something in your life. And, and Samuel goes, hey, by the way, it's going to be a rough 10 to 20 years. It's not going to come easy. So, David, just keep doing what you're doing. Talk to God. Day and night, talk to God over and over because he's with you. You know, he is for you. Like, just keep talking to God. So David goes back out into the fields. He's the anointed king, but he goes back out into the fields. And meanwhile, a war breaks out between the, the Israelites, God's chosen people, and the Philistines, the bad guys. And what happens is, is they're lining up on, on two sides of this valley, the Valley of Allah. The Israelites on one side, hanging out. The Philistines on the other side, hanging out. And nobody's coming to the middle. It's kind of like an awkward eighth grade school dance. Are you with me? Guys on one side, girls on the other. Nobody wants to walk out there. However, one giant does. His name is Goliath. He is nine foot something. He is 400 pounds of sheer muscle. He is an astronomical jerk. He's just the absolute worst guy ever. He's taunting, you know, the Israelites, calling them, you know, belittling their God, mocking them, calling them out, telling somebody to come fight him. You know, their God is a, a loser and everyone's too afraid to do it because he's just huge. He's massive. And so even the, the current king, which is Saul, is scared. And David's brothers are scared as well because they are in the army now. They're hanging out there. And so meanwhile, David gets a new job. He's not only shepherd boy, so he's part-time shepherd boy and now part-time DoorDash delivery driver. And he goes, takes his brother's refreshments to the army, the, the front lines of the army, brings them some like Diet Mountain Dew, some Gatorade, you know, kind of refresh the troops. Actually, they don't even need refreshing because they're not doing anything anyway. They're just standing around, right? Looking at him. And he overhears, he just so happens to overhear this giant. And how many of you know it's not just so happens? But he overhears this giant belittling and mocking his God. And David gets righteously angry. He's like, are you kidding me right now? Who is this guy? And he starts asking around, who's this guy I think he is? That he can talk about our God and everybody's going, have you not seen him? Like he's massive. If you think you're so bad, you go after him. And David goes, I will. I killed a lion. I killed a bear. You better believe I'm going to take out this uncircumcised Philistine. And I think that was trash talking back in ancient Hebrew, calling someone uncircumcised. I don't know how that would go over today. But he goes and meets him. And keep in mind, though, this is the Old Testament. So David, like, takes his slingshot, kills Goliath, and, and he takes his sword and cuts off his head. Cuts off his head because he's mocking and belittling his God. So I just need to remind us, that's Old Testament, all right? New 
Testament, New Covenant, like if somebody mocks or belittles your God, just like pray for them, invite them to church, tip them a little more, you know, do something. You don't got, that's the New Testament, you know, new era kind of revenge. But David, here's this guy mocking. And so he goes down into the, the valley to meet him and he grabs some stones, uh, literally and figuratively, because no one else is. He's grabbed some stones. He goes down in there. He takes a slingshot. And David's even like, like taunting him. Says, you can't talk that way against my God. And Goliath is trash talking him back and saying, like, you're, who am I that you'd come at me with, with, you know, sticks? Am I some dog? He's like, you know, who is this little hundred pound, nothing, five foot, nothing, little skinny, red haired boy. And all of a sudden he sees the stone like being hurled at him. Wham, hits him in the head. He's dead. And all because David in through his life, he's just talking with God talking with God out in the, the, the fields, talking with God in the valley. And so David takes out this giant and he becomes a legend. And because of that, he gets another promotion. And because of his, his skills on the, the, you know, the USA made PRS guitar, because of his skills on the harp, he becomes the head of, of music in Saul's palace. And so all he does, day and night, does the same thing in the fields, does the same thing in the valley, just talks to God over and over. And because he talks to God, he has favor with God. And because he has favor with God, he has favor with, with man. And because he has favor with man, he has favor with people. And everybody everywhere starts like looking to David. David's doing these amazing things. And because of that, Saul gets jealous. And Saul's like, uh-uh. In fact, start, Saul starts to lose his mind. And he tries to kill David a couple of different times with a spear. And so David has to take off go into hiding, into a cave. But you know what he's doing in the cave all day and all night? You're smarter than you look. Talking to God. No, you all look smart. You all look very smart. He talks to God over and over and over, even in, in hiding, just talks to God. That's like the story of his life. And you fast forward, Saul eventually dies. David does become the king of Israel, just as Samuel said he would and anointed him to be. And he's a great king. He's a great leader. He's doing all the kingly stuff. He's shaking hands and kissing babies and, you know, doing what he needs to do. Um, he's kicking, you know, all kinds of Philistine, you know, rear end up and down through the territory. But the whole time he talks to God. Now, just in case you start to think, man, this guy is awesome. He's amazing. I can never be like him. Actually, David is one of the most relatable characters in all of God's word because David fails and he falters over and over and over again. He has a huge resume of failures. In fact, one of them is one night he is, uh, one day he's up on his rooftop palace when he should be off at war with the rest of his army and he sees this woman bathing naked on her rooftop. Which by the way, this is 100% David's fault because he calls and has her come over. He sleeps with her, gets her pregnant. All of it is his fault. But can we just stop and say, who's bathing on the rooftop naked in the middle of the day, right? This has got to be the original desperate housewife, you know, kind of scenario. I don't know. But he gets her, gets her pregnant. And then in order to cover that up, commits murder. Has her husband killed on the front lines. And so he falls over and over and over. But even in all of that, he talks to God. And he repents and he, and he talks to God. David is living proof that, that you have not gone too far, no matter what you have done. In fact, if that was one of, you know, somebody's excuse today 
for your reason for not going all in with God all year long is because you feel like a failure. You feel like you are disqualified for some reason. Can I tell you, David just squashes that excuse. Like you are never too far from God to be used by God for great things. In fact, if you're not dead, God's not done with you yet. He's still got more for you to do. And David repents really well. David lives out the rest of his, his lifetime really well. David, in fact, you know, transitions the throne really well. David even dies really well. And all along, David is the poster boy, the poster child for what it looks like to talk to God over and over and over again, whether you are in a pasture one day or you're a king in a palace the next, whether you are you know, in the valley getting ready to stare down some giant or you are walking through the valley of a shadow of really bad decisions that you have made, David shows us how to talk to God. So now you know who David is, right? Good. One last thing about David. He was more content and more secure and more confident and passionate than you or me. And the reason was because he talked to God more than you or me. Listen, I'm coming for you today, church, because this message has been kicking my butt all week long. Now it's your turn. <laughs> it's your turn. And so I want to help us understand how it is that we, we talk to God more in our life. And so if you're taking notes, now you can start jotting some things down. Here's the first reason why we should, number one, prayer connects your faith to the source. Connects our faith to the, the source. By a show of phones, you got your phone, I'll accept Android as an answer. Although I'm praying for you in this new year, that you would get your life right with God. And I forgive you for ruining, ruining all of our group chats with your stupid green bubbles. I'm just saying, sorry. But can we all just agree how, how amazing this, this machine is? Like really? At our fingertips? How, how much is available to us because of our, our phones? Right now, like I could FaceTime someone from, you know, the other side of the world. Like literally right now, if I knew anybody over there, I could. Like I could FaceTime anyone anywhere on the planet. Isn't that not amazing? Like it's crazy to think about. And just this week I was searching through this and just kind of like, man, I'm just amazed by all this. I have a measuring tool on this phone. You probably already knew you did. I had no idea I did, but I was checking it out. I'm like, this is so cool. I can measure whatever I want. And not only that, what's on here, but there are over 7,000 apps available to me. This thing has a pro like video camera, a pro, you know, photo lens on it, all these unlimited apps. I could download an app that will tell me on any golf course I play how far I am from the pen, like no matter where I am. And I'm not talking about some famous course like Augusta or Pebble Beach. I'm talking about $20 Elk Valley. I'm talking about the nine hole course by the zoo. Like it could tell me my exact yardage from, it's like, it's, this thing is, is amazing. And here's the point of it though, and I do have one, I promise, as amazing as this thing is, how many of you know it is useless apart from power? It's useless. Like this thing will not work unless you, you charge it. So here's the metaphor, if you're following along. This phone is your faith. God is your power supply, is your source, 
And prayer is your cable that connects your faith to the source. Are you with me? That's what prayer does. It connects your faith to the source that is available to us. And Jesus said this exact same thing in John 15, 5. He said, I'm the vine. Take a look. I'm the vine. You guys, you are the, the branches. And so you better stay connected to the source. Jesus is like, listen, I can, I can sum up this whole thing of following me in one word. You ready for it? It's right there on the screen. Remain. You want to know what it means to follow me, to live with me, to walk with me? Just remain. He says, remain in me and I'll remain in you. And then he goes on to say, apart from me though, you can't do anything. So make sure you remain in me. Hebrews 12 talks about how our life is this, this race. And I would say that prayer will power your, your faith like water hydrates your race. I mean, is that important to your life? So keep following along this metaphor of a, of a phone. This phone, your faith, is the new covenant package that is available to you in Christ Jesus. And it is awesome. Like it can do so much for your life. 7,000 plus promises of God over your life to never leave you or forsake you. Promises that you can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. Promises that you are an overcomer by the blood of the lamb. Like there's promises available to us. And let me just say this. If, if your, your faith in Jesus, you, you don't use it for anything more than eternal security, just heaven forever one day. Can I tell you something? That's kind of like using your phone to make phone calls, period, and nothing else. Because there's so much more available to you in Christ Jesus, and it's prayer that connects us to the source. Prayer is what powers them. So let me ask you this question, then I'll move on. How much battery life does your soul have right now? Like right now, at the beginning of this year, or does anybody else feel like, like me where you spend way too many days in the red zone, in the sub 20% range, or switching to low power mode over and over again? I just need to remind somebody that through Jesus, you have this new covenant package available to you. Yes, heaven forever, and that's amazing, but you have also all these other promises available to you, and prayer is what connects your faith to the source. And I say that because I wonder how many people just shut down and give up on their faith altogether because they stopped talking to God. You know the reason that, that some people give up on their marriage or because they get burnt out is because they start cohabitating, but they're really not, you know, talking with one another anymore. But this prayer, this talking to God is what continually connects you to the source. Number two, you ready for it? Number two, prayer cultivates a quiet heart. And I love this. This is David as he's writing one of the Psalms. In fact, he's a great psalmist. He wrote so many of the Psalms. He says this in Psalm 131. He says, God, I am not trying to rule the roost. I don't want to be king of the mountain. I haven't meddled where I have no business or fantasized grandiose plans. I've kept my feet on the ground. I have cultivated a what? Say it out loud. I've cultivated a, a quiet heart. A quiet heart is a heart that is calm, is one that is confident. And I don't know about you, but that sounds so attractive to me. The older I get, just a, a quiet heart. David was a man ahead of his time. 
Like he really was. He didn't have infinity in his pocket like you and I do, but he was a legend. He was the giant killer. He was the, the king of, of Israel. I mean, he was anointed by God. And because of all those things, he had access to all the information in the known world at the time. Yet, based on what we just read, David seems to limit his intake. What did it say? I'm not trying to be king of the mountain. This is for somebody. I'm not trying to, I'm not meddling where I have no business. How many of you know we meddle all the time in things? What he's saying is, I'm not God, and I'm not trying to be God. And you might push back and say, Colby, I don't think I'm God either. I'm not trying to be God. But I would argue to some degree, we all believe that we are. Because that was, that was original, originally the problem in the garden. The human condition was, I can be God of my own life. I'm in control. I'm the master, you know, of my own domain. This was always the, the disease of kings and the temptation, you know, of, of, of today. Because of that, I believe everything that most of us are feeling and experiencing, what I'm, I'm calling uh, an omniscience fatigue. And I say omniscience as, you know, uh, exaggeration, because I'm obviously not omniscient, but this omniscience fatigue. In other words, what I'm saying is, we know way too much about everything. Do we not? Because we have infinity in our pocket, we know way too much about everything. This tragedy over here, that tragedy on the other side of the world, this person's thoughts about this thing, that person's thoughts about that thing, this hurt, that thing. It's almost like, like we know everything about everything and the temptation in the name of nobility is to try to carry it all. It's to try to manage it all. And we were never meant to do that. But the court of public opinion, a.k.a. social media, almost demands that you do. Wait, you haven't heard about that? You haven't heard about the little girl in Siberia who went to get her six-year molars removed and couldn't do it, and the endodontist said you have to come back next week, and she was all torn up about it? What kind of pastor are you? You haven't heard about the two little girls in California, you know, who didn't, who didn't want to be called by some specific gender who instead wanted to go by Tweedledee and Tweedledum, and, and you don't have a, a position on that? You haven't posted anything on social media about that? And you call yourself a, I'm not meant to. You and I were not created to. We need to take a cue from David who says, hey, I'm not trying to, to know everything. I'm not trying to be the, the, the king of the mountain. I'm not trying to have everything. I'm not designed that way or asked to do that. I can't do it. There's a pastor by the name of Judah Smith. He, he says this. He makes this point. He pulls out his phone. And he says, does your soul ever from a place of exhaustion after scrolling, scrolling, going through things and hearing things and posting things, does your soul ever from a place of exhaustion start to sing, I've got the whole world in my hands? I've got the whole world in my hands. I've got the whole. Like we were never meant to do that. We were never meant to carry everything. And I'm making that point because I take issue with the fact that there are followers of Jesus who are just as anxious and just as filled with fear about everything going on. And prayer is the way that you and I go from thinking we can carry it all to actually giving it to the one who can carry it all. Are you with me? Thinking that we can handle it because we all feel this pressure. Like, I don't think this is just me. 
We all feel this, this omniscience fatigue kind of, of pressure in our life. This is a human thing to carry the weight about absolutely everything. Because I hear things all the time. This tragedy, this person, Colby, pray for this or, or this thing that's going on or, or have you heard about that and what are we going to do you know, about this thing? And I'm like, there's so much, there's so much volume that could come and start to weigh on my heart and on my soul. And yes, I'm going to pray and I'm going to do everything that I can in Jesus' name. But at some point, I just have to go, God, I, I just got to trust you. With that family in Ukraine, with what's going on, I just got to trust you. I just got to trust that you have the whole world in your hands, that I wasn't meant to carry it. I just got to trust you with that loss and that pain of that family that's suffering right now, God. I just got to trust you because you and I were never meant to carry it all. So prayer is, is offloading that to God. It's quieting your heart. It's being this, in this place of, of calm and, and, and being content. Prayer is, is clicking and dragging things that are on the, the overloaded desktop of your life onto an eternal external hard drive. That's what it is. And I know that's cheesy, but my name is Colby, so deal with it, people. <laughs> right? And I need to challenge somebody here or somebody watching online like you are exhausted and you are tired and you have that, you know, startup disk full pop up on your window every single day and you keep clicking remind me. Some of you stop, need to stop clicking out of remind me and you need to deal with it. And the way you deal with it is by offloading it on to God. And that's what we do in prayer. And God wants you to do it. God wants you to do it. He's ready. He, he will give you his undivided attention. He loves you. You can yell at him if you want to. You can cry. I mean, this is what David did. If you just read through the Psalms, if it's big enough to worry about, it's big enough to pray about. And if it's important to you, it's important to God. Are you with me? Number three, prayer creates contentment. So if we keep reading in that Psalm, Psalm 131, it says, like a baby, content in its mother's arms, my soul is a baby content. Let me explain what that means. And the NIV makes it more clear. It says like a weaned child. In other words, a child who no longer needs his mother's milk. A weaned child is content in his mother's arms. Around the, the area, um, the region where milk is. I won't explain it any further than that because you guys are smart. I'm just quoting scripture, right? Like, is content being there, not, not needing milk, just still, still weaned. Uh, it's kind of like when my boys were little, they were babies and they'd cry when they were hungry. They would reach out for mom, not for dad. Why? Because mom's got what dad doesn't have. And so this is what David is kind of saying. He's describing a baby that's being held by his mother, yet wants nothing. Doesn't need anything. So getting to this place of God, I know you're good. I know I know you have provision for me. I know you have great things for my life, but I'm not in need of any of it. I'm just happy to be held by you. I'm just happy to be here in your arms. I'm just happy to be close to you. Prayer creates contentment in our heart, which means it's proximity, not provision. That's the point of our prayers. Not that provision is bad. Like we're going to talk about that. That's the next point, but proximity to God is what actually completes and contents our soul. 
not just what God can give us, just by being close to him. It was proximity, not the, the, the provision of God that led David to be one of the most content men who ever walked the face of the earth because the richest person in the world is the most content person in the world. You with me? I believe that. Contentment is the greatest wealth that we can have and it's because it's one of the fruits of the, the Spirit, not like, you know, if you list off the category, you know, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, goodness, self-control, all those fruits of the Spirit. You know what those equal, though, together? Contentment. Because these are the things of heaven. These are the things that God's Spirit wants to get all over your life to have that, that fruit. These are the things that billionaire, billionaires are trying to achieve and trying to gain, but money can't buy it. They're the things of, of God. The kingdom of heaven is wherever the king of heaven is. And the Bible tells us that he resides in us and with us. And so it's proximity, this closeness to Jesus. And that comes via prayer. And I'm just telling you, contentment, man, this is the ultimate in freedom. Being content, being being content with my portion, being content with what I have, being content with, with who I am, with who, how God made me. Like when you are content with your life, can I tell you anything else, provision and blessing, that's like playing with house money. That's just bonus, is it not? When it's when you have this close content with your, your maker. That's number three. Number four, prayer. I got, you guys got to listen faster. All right, I'm going to get through these, I promise. Prayer uh, completes what you cannot. So we've talked about proximity. This is the provision. Why do we pray? Because it works. Why do we pray? Because it attracts the God factor into your life, into the, the equation to what you are praying about. We pray because, as Mark Batterson says, he says, when you pray on a regular basis, irregular things start to happen regularly in your life. We pray because prayer does what we cannot do. Look at 1 Samuel 16, 13. It's that, that prophet. This is when he anoints David as king. It says he took the flask of oil and anointed David, and his brothers were all standing around and watching. It says, and the Spirit of God entered David like a rush of wind, vitally empowering him for the rest of his Life. So just a side note, the, the anointing of God is the difference between what you can do on your own and what God can do through you, through the anointing of him. It's the difference between your power at work and God's power at work. Are you with me? It's the God factor in our life. And prayer is how we, we have the God factor enter into the equation. James 4.2 says this, you have not because you ask not. You heard that before? You have not because you, you ask not. And the Bible says God is not a man that he should lie. This is not a trick verse. It means exactly what it says. You have not because you ask not. You don't have it because you haven't asked for it. Elsewhere in God's word, it says, hey, knock and the door will be open. Like do it, ask, ask for it. Jeremiah 29, 13, seek him and you will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. That's what the Bible says. And I was thinking about this. What would it look like for us to seek the Lord this year with all of our heart? With all of our heart. Like, like you know when you lose this right here? You lose your mind, do you not? Like, what if, like, when you lose your phone, you don't search for your phone like, I guess I'll find it somewhere. 
Nobody does that. Nobody's ever done that, right? No, you like, you like stop everything. Use your find my phone app. You know, if you have one of those like watches, you're like, help me find my phone. You look under every couch cushion on the planet trying to search for your phone was in the car. You start backpedaling, retracing your steps, doing everything you can, right, to find your phone. Imagine what your life would look like if you sought God this year like you searched for your lost phone. Are you with me? Could you imagine the power and the anointing over your life that would be opened up in your life if we ran after God that way? Man, I get excited thinking about a church that, that seeks God like that. That's the God factor coming into play in the equation, and it's through prayer. It's through prayer. Matthew 6, says, seek first the kingdom, and above all, all else, you know, God will give you everything that you need. That's what it says, everything that you need. And do you not know that God is a good God? He's a good father, and he has some really good gifts for you. Like if he, he says that he, you know, dresses the random lilies in the random fields with all the, you know, more splendor than all of Solomon had, like he's got good things for us. So you have not because you ask not. Listen, don't let that be. I don't want you to get to the end of your life and think, man, there were some, there were some things that happened in my life. And the reason they happened in my life is because I asked for it. But do you know that there are going to be some things at the end of your life that did not happen in your life? And you know why? Because you didn't ask for it. Don't let that be the case. You have not because you ask not. When humans work, we work. When humans pray, God works. Are you with me? Like I found that quote online. It was attributed to several people. So I'm just attaching my name to it now too. Prayer is the difference. Prayer is the difference between a breakdown and a breakthrough. Prayer is the difference between ordinary and extraordinary. Prayer is, is you do everything you can in the natural, but we seek God for all that he can do through us. And I can't promise outcomes. I will not promise outcomes. How God's going to show up in your life, that's, that's above even the Pope's pay grade, all right? I can't do that. I'm just saying you should talk to God more. Talk to God more. Let's take a cue from David. Let's talk to God more and see how the God factor, you know, comes into play in our life. And I'm going to give you one more. Can I give you one more? I'm asking, but not really asking, you know. One more. And that is prayer calls out the kid in you. I think it's funny that when we are kids, like we can, we can pretend to be something or think we are something that we are actually not even close to being. Case in point, whenever my kids were little and they would put on a costume, like for Halloween or for whatever, like if they put on, you know, Captain America, they were with all integrity, Captain America. They were, they, they'd go out into the street, fight crime, do whatever they needed to do. Like, they're crazy. You know, we put on a ninja costume, they were a, a ninja. And I think it's funny because when we get older, all of a sudden, we have the most difficult time believing what God actually says we are. You're forgiven. You're chosen. You're called. You're a, a, a prophet and a priest and a king. Like you are, you are a conqueror. You're an overcomer. Like, like this is what God says that we are. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. He'll never leave us or, or forsake us. He's with us. That you're not who your critics say you are. 
You are not, you know, what the enemy whispers into your ear you are. You are who God says you are. That's but the older we get, we stop to we stop believing in what God says we are. And prayer is the, the way that what has always been true in your life once again becomes realized in your life on the inside. And you get to approach God like a kid again. Because that's what he says. He says, you know, it's let the children come to me. We need to come to God with faith like a, like a child. And in Jesus' kingdom, the height of maturity is the heart of a child. We say that again. In God's kingdom, the height of maturity is this heart. Is this heart of a child. Believing that God is who he says he is, that, that you are who he says you are. Like I was in my mid-20s, and I would get so mad about stupid stuff like, like golf. And I don't know why I got mad at golf, and I don't know why I'm talking about golf all day, but sorry for that. But I get so mad, I get so frustrated, and I didn't grow up playing golf, and so I don't know why it was that big of a deal to me, but I remember on one hole when we were living in Florida that uh, I snapped a club over my knee, just did it. Hit this bad shot. I remember exactly, it was a pitching wedge. I'm like, that's terrible. Snap, cussing, throwing it around. Took out another club, hit a shot, second shot, still bad shot. Snap, like same hole, same shot, two clubs broken. And then the next hole, I threw my driver into the pond. So I'm, less, I'm just telling you, I have issues, all right? I'm trying to deal with those and work those out. But I left there down three clubs, you know, three clubs with less than what I came. And I had this revelation. In fact, I don't know what it was, but God just yelled into my heart. He's like, you dummy. Like, seriously, like what, what are you, you're not crazy. It's almost like, you know, the heavens opened up and um, God's like, you will never be on the PGA. Like, why are you taking this so seriously? Like, why are you, why are you worried about how you are performing in this thing that doesn't mean anything? There are going to be areas in your life that mean something. I get it. But this is not one of them. Why do you care that much? And as soon as I had that, that moment, that revelation from God, how many of you know when I stopped worrying about it that much, I played better golf. I did not say good golf. For those of you that have played with me, I didn't say good golf. I said better golf. He said, calm down. Enjoy it. And so I'm telling you how I play better golf. Now let me tell you how you can pray better. Calm down. Enjoy it. Like, what the heck are you doing thinking that you have to use some fancy word, some super spiritual language? Like, who do you think you are trying to impress God? You get to come to God like a kid again. You know, when I pray, I don't have to be, I don't have to be father. I get to be fathered. I don't have to be pastor. I get to be pastored. I don't have to be some leader. I just get to, I get to crawl up into my, my father's lap and just let him love me and take care of me. It doesn't have to be this polished, prepared kind of thing. And so let me have the band come out and help me finish this with one question. And that is right now, if you were to think about God as, as your father, and you were to approach God in prayer, like what do you believe is his expression towards you right now? 
Like, be honest. Be honest, because I know for a lot of us, you think God's mad at you. Like, like because what you've done, because of your mistakes, because of your failures, like you think that you are personally responsible for that wrinkle between his everlasting eyebrows. That's how you, you see God staring at you with this furrowed brow, and he's just mad at you. Let me be honest. Some of you, you see, you, you think God is looking at you with embarrassment. Oh, how could you again? I've given you time after time, try after try, and there you go. Again, some of you look at God as like a boss or a, a manager, and he's like, hey, produce, produce, produce. Heaven's real. Hell is hot. Come on. What are you doing? Let's go. Let's go. Let's get fired up. Right now, think about this. If you were to approach God, what do you think his face looks like towards you? Some of you think that he would even turn away from you. He's not even looking at you. And back in the Old Testament, in David's day, that was actually the deal. Because of the sin issue that we have, you couldn't approach God. You could not look upon it at all. And so God, you could never look full onto the face of God, which is why, by the way, Moses, when he was approaching God on the mountain, God had to hide him in the cleft of a rock until he passed by. And so Moses could just come out and catch a glimpse of the backside of the glory of God. But what do you believe God's face is towards you? That was Old Testament. New Testament, because of what Jesus has done, because of his sacrifice on the cross. You know what the Bible says? God no longer sees you and your sin and your failures and your mistakes. All he sees is his son. If you are in Christ Jesus, when God looks at you, he calls you the same thing he called Jesus in Matthew, Matthew 3. He said, this is my son who I am well pleased. This is my daughter who I am well pleased with. How is it that God is looking at, at you? Because just like when he spoke to me about golf and said, hey, this is, why are you performing this? My second question is this. Would some of your answers be based upon or predicated upon the way you performed this week. What you did or did not do. So I'm here to tell you that's not how God sees you. God sees you as a loving father. God smiles. Like, church, if we could just catch a glimpse of God's countenance for you right now, I think we'd be blown away. I think we would, I think we would approach him differently. I think we'd run to him differently. Because we all have this thought of who God is and what he looks like. But he's a loving father who loves you unconditionally.
Yeah.